It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no. But angel hair pasta, Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. I had to think for a minute about what exact day it was. Lot to dive into. NFL wildcard week officially over. What did we learn? There are now eight teams remaining in uh, the uh, NFL playoff race. Four in the AFC, four in the NFC. We'll break it down for you. Uh, Northwestern Iowa has been postponed for COVID. This is not a repeat of 2020. Yes, we are now three years after COVID has arrived and idiots are still postponing games. Um, Camille Gorgie, and I may be mispronouncing her name, uh, is under fire for potentially having a fake vaccine card that allowed her to play tennis She is my sportswoman of the year. Uh, The Cowboys missed four extra points, but they finally won a playoff game. Prince Harry's book is setting all-time records. Jeremy Clarkson under fire for what he said about Meghan Markle. All of that headed your direction, but we begin with the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys finally winning a playoff game on the road for the first time in the early 90s? The Cowboys haven't won a lot of playoff games, period since Jimmy Johnson was the coach. Four touchdowns for Dak, I believe, passing, one rushing, five touchdown performance overall. Four missed extra points. May never see that again. We've never seen it, basically, in the history of the NFL. That, in and of itself, was wild. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go down. So, much to discuss. First of all, now that we're through Super Wild Card Weekend, Only eight teams remaining. The two teams that I picked to play in the Super Bowl, still alive, all right? Got to take the victory where I can. I said that the Bills were going to win the AFC, and I said the Cowboys were going to win the NFC, and both teams are still alive. All right, let me give you a bullish case for the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys have to go on the road against San Francisco 49ers this weekend. Other game, obviously, going to be the Giants going on the road against the Eagles. If you are a Dallas Cowboy fan and you are wanting to feel really good about your team coming off of this dominant performance against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if you look at the NFC quarterbacks, you can make an argument, and I don't think it's a crazy one at all, that Dak Prescott is the best quarterback left in the NFC. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, he has been miles better than anybody could have anticipated. But he is still a third-string quarterback, seventh-round draft pick, literally the final draft pick. At some point, you would think, as a rookie quarterback, third-stringer, he is likely to have a bad game. Now, I love this 49ers roster. I think when you think about Debo, you think about Christian McCaffrey, you think about George Kittle, I believe that the 49ers have the best combo of wide receiver, running back, and tight end in the entire NFL. Defense stacked, okay? 
I love this roster. I like Kyle Shanahan's play calling. I think the best team right now is the San Francisco 49ers. But that weak link, would it stun you if Brock Purdy came out and threw a couple of picks and did not continue his Tom Brady-like string of dominance out of nowhere as a young, low draft pick? Just pointing it out. So if I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, I think Dak, better than Brock Purdy, certainly far more uh, history of Dak Prescott being able to play at a really high level. Dak at his best is a top 10, top 5 even caliber quarterback. Now, Dak at his worst, bottom 10 caliber quarterback, right? There's still the frustration level, I would say, with Dak in general for Cowboy fans has been he still has a really high ceiling, but he still has a really low floor. There's just too much variation game to game between what you might get out of Dak Prescott to say, hey, I feel really confident with him. But if you're analyzing the NFC right now, I like Dak historically better than Brock Purdy, okay? I like Dak historically better than Jalen Hurts and certainly better than Daniel Jones. In fact, when we started this season, three of the final four are in the NFC East. If you're a Cowboy fan, if you can get past the 49ers, you could beat either the Eagles or the Giants. We know this. So if I'm a Cowboy fan, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think that Dak, given the competition of Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurts, and Daniel Jones, is in that bad of shape. Love the talent level of this Dallas Cowboy team. If I'm a Cowboy fan, I'm actually thinking this could be our year, finally. Now, I know that Cowboy fans are wildly bipolar. Every game they win is evidence that they're going to win the Super Bowl. Every game they lose is evidence that Jerry Jones is a disaster. They have to sell the team, fire Mike McCarthy, and move on from Dak Prescott. No fan base swings between extreme joy and extreme uh, extreme uh, sorrow more than the Dallas Cowboys. They are one of the most bipolar fan bases in all of sports. But I think them Cowboys have a chance to potentially win the NFC this year because I think Dak Prescott is the best quarterback left in the NFC. Now, I know Jalen Hurts had a great year, so all you Eagle fans out there, fly, Eagle, fly, who are saying, hey, what about Jalen Hurts? Guys, before this season started, you were interested in potentially moving on from Jalen Hurts. He had a great year. I love Jalen Hurts. But the record of success among all the four quarterbacks that are out there is best for Dak. Daniel Jones, people in Giants fans. We're done with Daniel Jones before this season started. So, just going to toss it out there. I like the chances of Dak Prescott, if they could get past the 49ers, because I think the 49ers right now are the best team in the NFC. If they could get past the 49ers, I think if you're a Cowboy fan, you can dare to dream that your team may make a Super Bowl run. Uh, in the AFC. Crazy stat for you. All four AFC quarterbacks are 27 and younger, and Patrick Mahomes is the oldest quarterback left in the AFC. Trevor Lawrence, 23 years old, going up against old man Patrick Mahomes, 27. You got Josh Allen and Joe Burrow going up against each other on the other side. Why do I bring up the AFC matchups? 
because I think it factors in with the other big question, reason for Cowboy optimism coming out of the final game of Wild Card Weekend. What about Tom Brady's future? I think Tom Brady is going to continue to play. I understand some of you out there think he's going to retire and go work for Fox Sports. Not a bad fallback. I like a lot of the people at Fox Sports. I've enjoyed working with them. Still enjoy working with them. But I think it's too much of a lifestyle shift for Tom Brady to get divorced from Giselle and retire all in the space of one year. One of the biggest challenges you'll hear from a lot of former athletes is that sudden realization of retirement. And they have this huge expanse of time that is suddenly wide open that they've otherwise had filled by their athletic careers. Especially in football, the schedule is very regimented. You are marching to the tune of your head coach who has a really detailed plan for you as to what your obligations are. And so I don't think that Brady, who puts all of his heart and soul into playing football, is suddenly going to be able to get divorced from Giselle, potentially over his refusal to give up his football career, and then also give up his football career the next year. So I think the most likely outcome here is that Tom Brady plays another year. If I'm correct and Tom Brady plays another year, I think there are four real teams that Brady would consider playing for. One of them is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why would he stay with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Symbol, he knows what it's like. Good relationship with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Comfortable. It's a creature of habit. The reason why I don't think he's going to stay with the Bucs is because I think Tampa Bay's roster is on the downward slide now. I think Tampa Bay looked old on offense. I think they looked slow on defense. And I think they went 8-9 last year. The best days of the Tampa Bay Buccaneer roster have passed. They could still win the NFC South. There is a benefit to staying in the NFC because the quarterbacks are nowhere near as good. But I think ultimately Brady will leave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay, if I'm correct and he's leaving the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, there are three teams that I think could make sense for him to go. I'll start with the one that I think makes the most sense. Miami Dolphins, okay? Stay in the state where you already are. Not very far to move from Tampa to Miami. So the lifestyle adjustment would not be substantial. The owner of the Miami Dolphins has already paid a penalty for trying to get Tom Brady to come and play for him already. He's a Michigan grad, Stephen Ross. You got a good young quarterback in Mike McDaniel who has a very good grasp of offense. You have uh, two elite-level wide receivers, the likes of which don't exist anywhere else in the NFL. Can you imagine Tom Brady throwing to Tyreek Hill and to Jalen Waddell? You also then add in Mike Gesicki, who I believe is a very good tight end in this league. And you give Brady three big-time options to throw the football. Good, solid running back talent. Young, very talented defense. A team with a decent quarterback that is capable of being among the best in the AFC. Going up against the Jets, who are no good. Yes, it's a challenge to be in the same division as as Josh Allen, but I feel like Brady wouldn't be scared away by Josh Allen. And the Jets and the Patriots are not very good right now. So... I feel like the, uh, while I don't love the idea of leaving the NFC for the AFC, 
best destination for Brady in the AFC based on talent, history, relationship with the owner is the Miami Dolphins. The other two teams that I would say Brady could consider, the Oakland Raiders. Josh McDaniels, we know he has a really good relationship with him based on the former tenure of McDaniels for a long time with the New England Patriots as the offensive coordinator. You got Devontae Adams, you got Josh Jacobs, you got Darren Waller. That is a trio that is right up there with the best running back, the best wide receiver, and the best tight end in the NFL. When they are healthy, Waller's had health issues, Jacobs has had health issues, okay? But I just told you that I thought the 49ers with McCaffrey, with Debo, and with Kittle had the best combo of those three. I think you can make an argument that the Raiders are right up there with the 49ers. And you might disagree with me. You might think the Raiders have even better talent at those positions. Derek Carr, you trade him, you move on from him. There's something that feels right about Vegas being the place that hosts the aging Tom Brady, just like they host all the aging singers, starting with Elvis all the way through. Is there potentially a play to be made for Brady to go to the Raiders based on the talent there? I think so, potentially. Here's my challenge with the Raiders. Justin Herbert, pretty good with the Chargers, not going anywhere. Patrick Mahomes, very good with the uh, with the Chiefs. If Russell Wilson gets fixed, you're talking about four really good Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks all in the same division. That's why I don't like the Raiders. Other one, 49ers. I know the 49ers are rolling with Brock Purdy right now. I know they still have Trey Lance. I know they had Jimmy G. But as you just heard me mention, George Kittle, uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey, and Debo Samuel, that's a lot of talent. With a decent quarterback, Kyle Shanahan, one of the great play callers, one of the great offensive minds in football right now. Brady is from the Bay Area, dreamed much of his life of playing for the 49ers. Family is still in that area. Could go to the NFC, stay in the NFC. A lot weaker competition at the quarterback position in the NFC. If you're Brady and you're continuing to play, the number one goal is to advance to the playoffs and win another Super Bowl. I think 49ers, Raiders, and Dolphins make the most sense potentially as a destination other than Tampa Bay. And I believe Brady will end up in one of those four places because I think he's going to continue to play football. I don't think he's going to retire because retiring right after the divorce, I think from a psychological perspective, would be really difficult for Tom Brady, who has spent most of his adult life maniacally focused on excelling in football, and suddenly he's going to be sitting around calling games for Fox. I think that's too much of a lifestyle change all at once. And I don't think he's going to retire after he gave up his marriage, arguably, uh, over the decision to come back to play football last year. That is my breakdown there. Okay, a couple of other big stories that are out. Uh, And I'll give you my divisional round playoff expectations as we move further into this week. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. Okay, if we're going to recreate this old pic of us that mom posted, we've got to get the outfits right. Well, for some reason, I can't find gauchos with a matching shrug anywhere. Let me try on my Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. I just use the S Pen to circle the outfit in the post and bam. 
Five sites to buy it from right here. Shut up. How did you... You shut it. Mom's coming. Cute outfit. Get me one. <laughs> circle it. Find it. With the new Galaxy S24 Ultra and circle the search with Google. Upgrade now at Samsung.com. Internet connection required. Results may vary based on visuals. Reports are that Northwestern in Iowa has been postponed because of COVID positive tests coming out of Northwestern. This is actually perfect because it is emblematic of the anti-science insanity that is continuing to reign supreme at many elite academic institutions like Northwestern. Why in the world is Northwestern still testing its athletes for COVID? Did Northwestern in any of our lives test its players for the flu? Do they test players to see whether they have colds or not? COVID to a young, healthy player, athlete, is not dangerous at all. The fact that any athletic team in the country is still testing players for COVID and canceling or postponing games as a result is a flagrant anti-science absurdity. Northwestern should be ashamed of itself for being this anti-science. Anyone who works at Northwestern and allows this policy to remain in place should be ashamed of themselves. Anyone who pays tuition to Northwestern and allows this policy to be in place should be ashamed of the fact that they pay tuition. Any student that attends Northwestern and is still being tested for COVID should want everyone to know on campus how absurdly, insanely, and irrationally uh, stupid this policy is. Uh, Yet, they are still postponing games. I think it needs to go away. The Big Ten should come out and say, if you feel like your team can't play because of COVID, that's fine, but you get a forfeit. You take the L at this point if you are postponing games over COVID. Iowa should get the win here. Northwestern should have to wear the L and the competitive imbalance associated with taking L's over COVID should lead to sanity prevailing in athletics over this issue. Speaking of sanity, a women's tennis player named Camille Georgie uh, was grilled today in Australia over whether she obtained a fake vax card to allow her to compete in tennis over the last year. Evidently, this woman's doctor was arrested for providing fake vax cards. Now, There are lots of athletes out there who got fake Vax cards. I believe Antonio Brown, among others, was actually caught with a fake COVID vaccine card. But there are a lot of athletes who refused to get the COVID shot, were worried about keeping their jobs, and so got fake COVID shots so they could maintain their jobs. Now, I think this Camille Gorgie should just come out and say, yeah, I didn't get the COVID shot. She's probably worried about being prosecuted. So she's claiming that she still got the COVID shot. She's my sportswoman of the year. I respect athletes who looked at the data, recognized they were young and healthy, and that all they gained was risk by getting the COVID shot and were willing to do whatever was necessary to continue to compete while also standing up for what they believe. Now, I respect athletes the most who said, hey, I'm not getting the COVID shot. Kyrie Irving, Aaron Rodgers, 
Novak Djokovic because they actually spoke out directly. And I'm just using those guys as an example. Cole Beasley would be another one who is on right now, the Buffalo Bills. I respect all those athletes who spoke out and said, hey, frankly, I'm just not willing to do this. The data doesn't reflect that I need it. But I also respect uh, a tennis player like Camilla Gorgi, who was not going to be able to play her sport unless she got either the COVID shot, which she recognized she didn't need, or a fake COVID allegedly uh, shot uh, vaccine card because she had an option. She could either sit out of much of her ability to make a living or get the COVID shot or get a fake vax card. I respect the fact that she got the, uh, the fake vax card. I really do. Um, and, uh, and, and she's my sportswoman of the year as a result if she did it. Props to Camille Gorgi. Uh, all right, a couple of other different stories that are out there. Prince Harry's book has set an all-time record for nonfiction sales. You may have heard us talking about this on the Clay and Buck show. Buck is very anti the royal family, has no interest in it whatsoever. I, on the other hand, am fascinated by the royal family uh, and consume all this content about the royal family immensely. Now, I will say this. I think Prince Harry is an incredible hypocrite. Both he and Meghan Markle. Because they have said, we just want to be left alone We just want to be normal people. We don't want media attention on us obsessively. And if you made those choices for your family and you decided you wanted to be out of the public eye and you wanted to move to California and you didn't want everybody obsessing with you from one moment to the next, I can certainly respect that. No bones about it. But when you write books and then also have a Netflix documentary and do your own podcasting company and all of those things, it's hard for me to accept the fact that you just want to be treated normal. Especially when, in Prince Harry's book, he shares all these incredibly detailed aspects of his life as a royal and basically shares every aspect of his family's dirty laundry that he can. And to what end? I just feel like it's a directly hypocritical act. If your goal is just to make as much money as possible, I'm a capitalist. I don't begrudge it. But don't sell this idea that you just want privacy. It reminds me of all these reality stars who complain about cameras that follow them around while they're making television shows featuring cameras that follow them around all the time. Right? I understand wanting privacy. I understand not wanting your family under the light of all of the media attention. But don't bring in all the media attention. I think they have a six-part Netflix documentary right now. And now you got a brand new book. And Meghan Markle's writing her own book. And you did the sit-down with Oprah. And then you did the sit-down with 60 Minutes. And then you did Good Morning America or whatever the heck it is. I don't understand why you would do all of that while claiming that you want to be left alone. Having said that, I understand why the Prince Harry book is so popular. I think the Prince Harry book is so popular, primarily with women, that's who I think is buying this book, because so many people feel connected to Prince Harry because they feel like they grew up with him. 
and watched him grow up. In the same way that JFK Jr. retained an incredible connection with the American public, despite the fact that he really didn't do anything other than be very handsome, how many people cared about JFK Jr. because they remember when he was three or four years old and he saluted his father's coffin back in 1963. And as a result, his story became intertwined with so many other American stories so that people cared in this country a tremendous amount about this cute little kid who was saluting his dad's coffin, who grew up without a father, cloaked in the Kennedy mystique. The Kennedys were, in many ways, an American royal family. And so, if you combine that with Prince Harry, I think a lot of people, from the moment they saw Prince Harry walking along behind his mom's funeral uh, cortege on that day back in 1997, when she died at an incredibly young age, feel like they have a connection to him and to his story because in many ways they feel like they grew up alongside of him. So it doesn't surprise me that millions of people would be buying this book. Let me also say this. A lot of people, like Buck put up a a question and said, would you prefer that there were no Prince Harry stories and nobody would put stories up on your feeds, on social media and everything else? 90% of people said yes. What people say and what they do is often very different. People are clicking on these Prince Harry stories like crazy or they wouldn't all be written. This reminds me of early in my career in sports media. There was a lot of coverage about uh, Brett Favre, whether he would or would not retire, return to football, what his decision was going to be. And I remember I was working at Fan House at the time. And every time there was a minute shift in the Brett Favre stories, we had it up on the front page and I could see the data. And people overwhelmingly on social media, even calling into my radio show, would say, I don't care about the Brett Favre story at all. Yet the data reflected that people clicked on that story through the roof. And I feel like the Prince Harry story is a perfect representation of that. Many people out there lie about their interest in this Prince Harry story and the royal family in general. Publicly, they all say, oh, I don't care at all. Privately, they all watch this Netflix documentary. I walked through the house. My wife's got it on. I didn't watch it, but I've seen a few minutes in the way that you walk through a house and your spouse is watching something. And the same thing's happening with the book. Everybody says, oh, I don't care about this. I don't know why you're talking about this. We'll share this clip and 50,000 people on Twitter alone will watch my opinion of Prince Harry and his new book. Just telling you exactly what's going to happen. Everybody's going to say they don't care. Same thing about Brady. We're going to put up a clip of me talking about where Tom Brady should go and 100,000 people are going to watch that. And meanwhile, everybody's going to be saying, I don't know why you're talking about this. Nobody cares. The data tells the truth. You, my friend, are lying. Finally, another royal story for you. You know me, royal family expert. I saw this story and I thought it was really interesting. So Jeremy Clarkson 
is a uh, is a Ricky Gervais like character in Britain. Has a very popular show uh, and on Amazon Prime. And I don't know if he's been canceled or if he's going to end up getting canceled over this or not. But he said this about uh, Meghan Markle in an article. He said, uh, quote, I hate her. Not like I hate Nicola Sturgeon or Rose West. I hate her on a cellular level. By the way, I don't know who Nicola Sturgeon or Rose West are. Maybe you guys do. I guess maybe they're British people. I don't know. I'm reading from Jeremy Clarkson's place. At night, I'm unable to sleep as I lie there grinding my teeth and dreaming of the day when she's made to parade naked through the streets of every town in Britain while the crowds chant shame and throw lumps of excrement at her. This was in The Sun. Uh, It's got the largest amount of complaints in history. He uh, then apologized, this Clarkson guy, and said, I really am sorry, all the way from the balls in my feet to the follicles in my head, this is me putting my hands up. And I and like Meghan Markle's now trying to get him canceled and everybody's up in arms and everything else and I'm talking about it and I wouldn't have been talking about it otherwise. You can't apologize for an article that you write. I'm here to tell you I've written millions of public words. I've never apologized for anything that I've written. People may not like some of the things that I've written. Some of you may not like the things that I have said. You can never, ever apologize for something that you actually mean. Now, I don't have that strong of an opinion about Meghan Markle. I certainly don't care enough about Meghan Markle to be left lying awake at night in my bed so perturbed by anything relating to her life. But if I wrote that I was... And if I wrote, and by the way, this seems to me like a clear allusion to what happened in Game of Thrones when Queen Cersei was made to walk naked through the streets and people wrote, chanted shame, shame, and threw things at her, which is hyperbolic, right? If he had said a Game of Thrones style walk of shame, um, I think people would have understood it more. But that was obviously on television and also in a graphically violent Middle Ages-esque drama as opposed to modern day. Um, I don't understand why he apologized. If you want to say, hey, maybe my language was a little bit figurative and hyperbolic and struck people as extreme, I understand that. But I would just double down on my opinion if I were him and say, I still hate her. Like, I'm being as honest as I can. If that upsets you, so be it. I don't care. I mean, I I don't get this desire to meekly apologize. I have never apologized for anything in my life that I have said that has created offense, to my knowledge. Because so far, I've said everything that I intended to say. Now, if you misspeak and say something that you didn't intend to say, I think that's different. But when you put a column in writing and an editor reviews it and it goes up, I don't understand how you can apologize for that. You can take shots at yourself and be like, yeah, I guess I'm kind of a jerk. I guess, you know, 
People don't like me because of something that I said. But if you're honest and you're sharing your true opinion, then all you do when you apologize is remove anyone who would have ever defended you in the first place. And this is like happened a lot of times in my career. People have demanded apologies from me for years. Remember when I went on CNN and said I only believe in the First Amendment and boobs? Lots of people said, oh, you should apologize. I said, it's true. First of all, it's a joke, right? It's hyperbolic. Instead of saying I'm a First Amendment absolutist, I said for a long time, the only two things I believe in 100% are the First Amendment and boobs, right? People remember that phrase far more than they do, oh, I'm a First Amendment absolutist. Um, And I'm not going to backtrack from that. And I'm not going to apologize because somebody's upset because of that. That's the exact opposite of what the intent of my statement is. And what I have found is just owning what you say and owning what you write actually creates far more protection for you than immediately crawling around on the ground apologizing for what you said. Every opinion is not going to be popular. Every opinion is not going to be widely praised. Sometimes you are going to say or do things that people find to be offensive. And so you just got to own it. Now, if you legitimately behave in a way, I'm married. I've apologized for a billion things in my marriage, like every married man on the planet has. But guess what? Sometimes you do screw up. But I don't think you screw up in writing. And I don't think you screw up when you say, this is my opinion and I legitimately mean it. When you screw up is when you tell people, this is my opinion and I really mean it. And then you come back and you say, oh, I'm sorry about that opinion. I didn't really mean it. Because then you have undercut the one thing that people care about, which is your authenticity when it comes to sharing what your opinion is. So I don't think Jeremy Clarkson should get canceled. I don't believe in cancellation in general for opinions that people decide are offensive. But I also don't believe in apologies. And I think he was guilty of being a pussy. And the number one role, number one rule that we have in the OutKick universe, DBAP, don't be a pussy. Now, the flip side, SBAP, sometimes be a pussy. I'm not going to go swim in a crocodile-infested lake. And if you say, oh, you're being a pussy, I'll be like, yeah, sometimes you got to be a pussy. But Jeremy Clarkson, DBAP, my man. I don't think you've done yourself any good graces here. I appreciate all of you. As always, I just said it, DBAP unless you need to SBAP. My name is Clay Travis. This has been OutKick, the show.